The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. I run a website with online courses called youthrivefear.com. And I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my super co-host, Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? Oh, Jim, I'm busy cleaning. No, don't clean. I am. I'm trying, you know, as, as the seasons change and I move from one activity to another activity, I find myself with stacks of paper. You know, that's so easy to do. I, you know, I need to really clean up my feng shui. That's for sure. Cause all my corners are messed up. How's your feng shui? My feng shui. I don't know. I mean, clearly my feng shui is off. So I think that I am doing so much internal work and so much in the spiritual time that sometimes I forget I have this whole practical tactical life to take care of. So I'm uh, making some plans for how to make sure that the outside of me is as Zen as the inside of me. Well, that is a smart thing to do. You know, we had Marie Diamond on the show um, a while back. I don't think you were here for this episode. I think that was a Royce episode. But we could use another feng shui expert, I think, coming on the show to help us uh, figure this stuff out. I, I, I think so. What do you think? Yeah, a little tidying up. I mean, I know today we're tackling a really big topic. Oh, my gosh. Know, like yes. the entirety of everything in the universe. So we'll we'll set our sights there today but remember that we do have some practical tactical things to take care of on a daily basis we certainly do and i have to warn you i, I think i might have mentioned this one one time before but uh you know sky nelson isaacs is our guest and he's a physicist and i have to tell you that the only reason i passed physics in high school was because i promised not to take any more of my teacher's classes well now see this could say something about the teacher as well everybody everybody loved him and thought he was fantastic i was a little distracted i i tended to talk a lot in that class and i made some of my two best friends in that class but i gotta say physics not my thing so this is going to be a challenge today you know i'm going to totally poke you on that because i think it's interesting that we come out of high school with these ideas of you know what what subjects we're good at or what we're interested in. And we're like 14, 15, 16 years old when we're being introduced to some of these concepts, right? Right. And so I don't I don't know that we can 
um, we can make definitive answers about what we're good at or what we understand at 15. I mean, now in our, our wonderful adult knowledge brains, I think maybe physics makes a little more sense. Well, that could very well be. And perhaps, just perhaps, I will make a leap into wholeness, leap to wholeness today with our with our author today so I can understand physics in a more practical sense, perhaps. Plus, we've seen The Matrix, so we've already got a jump start. The Matrix, yes. This is the movie that everybody refers to because it's, it's sort of the touchstone of a generation, um, and it really illustrates a, some of the real concepts in physics that, that these folks are talking about. Well, and I think that's why we love science fiction and speculative fiction so much, because what we write about, we write about what we're curious about. That's what shows up in fiction. And then we get excited about it, and then we go set out to prove it or to make it. Think of all the things that you wanted from Star Trek or Star Wars that we have now, except for those darn flying cars. But, you know, we have a lot of the things that we set out to have. So I, I'm, I'm real curious to see what comes up today from Sky. I am too. I am too. Well, let me, uh, I just want to say that Sarah's new book is on pre-order now at Amazon. What's the name of your book? And tell us a little bit about it. It is. And if folks go to sacredsendoffs.com and you pre-order there, uh, you get a free workshop I'm doing in December. So if people are interested in um, the topic of how do we heal from animal loss and how do we work with things like biodiversity and extinction and climate change and, and what is that relation to creation and, and all the critters on the planet, including the humans, uh, the ones that are in our homes, the wildlife, the ones that are in captivity, all of this, this big mess of life on earth. So the book comes out in April, but you know, a little incentive for the pre-orders. If people are interested in doing it early, we can get together and have a really juicy conversation. Well, I've already pre-ordered mine and I'm going to go ahead. I know you did. You're yes, so sweet, Jeb. I did pre-order it. I'm I'm expecting a signed copy from you at some point. Absolutely. All pre-order copies are signed copies. Ooh, I like that. That's awesome. There you go. So, um, you know, I have a little bit of a surprise here. And that is, I, I think I've decided I'm going to self-publish a little ebook on uh, video production soon, preparing for video production. I am so excited, Jim, and I will pre-order that immediately. There's so much need for video now. Well, this is uh, it's aimed at um, media media folks, and it's basically it's a very short kind of checklist of what people can go through in order to prepare for production. And so, you know, I think it could be helpful to people. I'm kind of excited about it. You know, I'm not going to get a give a definitive date at this point. But, you know, I think it, it could be interesting, could be helpful to people. I think it sounds very necessary. And I know we talk to a lot of writers and a lot of authors on this show. And so I expect a lot of our listeners are also aspiring writers. So go out there and write your book. Absolutely. Everybody's got a book in them, I believe. It just takes a really long time sometimes <laughs> to get them out of us. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. Do you have a quote for us today? I do. This should not be a surprise with all the kind of multiverse and matrix references, but here's what I got today. Opening to the reality of what is can shift us out of insisting that we need ideal circumstances to make us happy and instead into an appreciation of the growth that is called out of us by life's trials. Ooh, that sounds great. Who's that? That is Barbara Cecil from Coming Into Your Own. 
I have been trying to reframe a lot of life's trials this year. And so I take these words uh, very seriously. Very nice. Very nice. Where did you end up this week? I'm not sure if I used this one before, to be honest, but I, I really, <laughs> well, if you, it's, well, it might if you be did, a repeat. It's really I don't important. Know. <laughs> it is. It is. See the world as yourself. Have faith in the way things are. Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. That's beautiful, Jim. Who is that? It's the Tao Te Ching. Ah, so we don't exactly know who it is, but we call him Lao Tzu. We do. We do. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get into the episode? Let's leap into today's episode. That sounds See perfect. See what I did there? I heard that. Uh -huh. Hello, everybody. My name is Edward Biagiotti. I'm co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. It's always a pleasure to be with you here on Big Universe. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is serendipity, synchronicity, wholeness. These things all go together quite well because when we tap into our wholeness, we become synchronized with the entire universe. Universe, remember, as Charles Fillmore taught me in one of his books, means one song. So it makes sense that when we tap into our wholeness, we tap into the natural beauty and abundance of the entire universe, the oneness. We synchronize with our good. We bump into people along the way who we could have never planned on bumping into, who happen to be right on the same page with us or happen to be a, 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 chain, a link in the golden chain of our good. It's amazing. One of the greatest things that helps us tap naturally into our oneness is meditation. I recommend doing it every morning, at least in the morning. And I mean, when I say at least, I mean, it's wonderful to do it in the morning because that is the tool that naturally connects us with our wholeness, with the song of the universe, with our abundance, which naturally puts us in sync with the good. We become synchronized with our good naturally. It's who we are. That's the great news. So have a great day. And my name is Ed. And remember that Daryl and Ed love you. And now it's time for our interview. Sky Nelson Isaacs is an author and physics educator building a foundation for a scientific understanding of synchronicity in our modern world. Sky has a master's degree in physics from San Francisco State University and has had careers in education, in the software industry, and in music. He spent the, last, uh, the past 20 years studying synchronicity with the last 12 years publishing academic papers on it. Sky relies on a mix of modalities, science and self-inquiry to learn from life. Sky is a parent, husband, author, speaker, and trainer, as well as, get this, a physicist, an educator, musician, award-winning composer, and performer, and software engineer. I don't think you do enough stuff, Sky. I, don't, I know. Not, We're going to have to talk enough. to him about time management, Jim. Sky is, <laughs> I need Sky, help. Sky is a <laughs> professionally trained musician and songwriter. His musical composition and performances can be found at skynelson.com. And I had the great fortune of working with Sky on his online course, Living in Flow on youthrivehere.com. And that, that's been a total pleasure, Sky. Sky's newest book is Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. Welcome to Big Universe, Sky. I think this is the second time we've had you on. We had you on a long time ago. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here. Nice high energy introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, time management is probably what drove me to research time in my physics work. So we could well, talk that's uh, good. about that's time today. Time. Yes, that is fascinating. <laughs> and and uh, I have to warn you, as I told Sarah earlier today, um, 
I passed physics because my teacher made me promise that I wouldn't take any more of his courses. So, <laughs> so that was a long time ago, but uh, I, I'm, I'm game for the adventure here today. Well, synchronicity literally means together in time when two events line up or are juxtaposed in time in a meaningful way. So that's what drove me to, to think about time from a you know, physics perspective to try and understand synchronicity. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, we're going to let's jump in. Let's jump right in. Um, yeah, your book is a leap to wholeness. What how do you define wholeness? What's wholeness to you? That's a great question. So what what's so amazing about this concept of wholeness is it's so diverse, it can mean so many different things to different people. I've had people tell me wholeness means having all the opportunities that that are available to them, you know, having access to equal information. Um, you know, equity is an example of wholeness. When we feel like we can um, be inclus included in society, that's an example of wholeness. Or when we um, go have an educational system which encourages us to explore and to be curious rather than just fill out a form and become you know, a, a good employee, that's wholeness. So instead of being funneled into parts of ourselves at the exclusion of other parts, wholeness is uh, however we want to explore the whole of ourselves, all the different motivations, all the different desires, all the different experiences, the anger and the sadness, the, the joy and the uh, exuberance and the exhilaration, all these different emotions are all part of us. So part of wholeness is embracing whatever we're experiencing right now without rejecting parts of ourselves. And this, is, this, this leads to um, a, 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 something we can all get behind. We're all on a quest for wholeness. We're all on a quest to become more fully expressed. Absolutely. My yes. fully full expression is not going to be the same as yours. And I don't necessarily need the same um, changes in society that you need. So uh, wholeness also encourages us to expand our view of what other people are experiencing and listen at a deeper level to, to other people's experiences. Wow. You know, um, what I love about your writing is that you you talk about both the, the physics, physics aspects, the, the synchronicities, and you interweave your personal stories and, and you, you make yourself vulnerable in your, in your discussion of that. And it's so key to bring that personal touch to uh, an understanding of this stuff, because, you know, we're, we're experiencing real life, you know, and, and concepts in real life come together. I appreciate you you know, your, your vulnerability, your, worry, your, your ability to talk about the journey in your writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I can tell a story of synchronicity that illustrates that. Um, some years ago, before I'd written my first book, I was wanting to become a writer and, and be um, sort of doing that actively. So I was writing articles in my, you know, on, online and on my blog. And I had, had a dream one day that uh, some, some inner voice in me was saying, write something that gets noticed. In other words, write a piece that's more deeply impacting. And uh, so, of course, I thought to myself, oh, well, then I'm just going to write something that gets noticed. And I, I tried to write something, you know, important and meaningful. And I shared it with some friends. And they're like, yeah, this is interesting, but I wouldn't read the whole thing if I didn't have to, you know, because I'm not really drawn in. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> those, those are honest friends there. <laughs> those are good friends to have. Yeah, exactly. I'm not really drawn into it. You're being kind of preachy or whatever it was, you know. So I hadn't, I hadn't nailed what I was trying to express. And so I, I sat with that for a few weeks, trying to write something and, and you know, throwing out drafts. And, and then one day I went to the store and I was with my daughter grocery shopping and we're in line at the check stand to pay for our groceries. And on the shelf, I see a magazine 
It was one of those tabloid magazines and it had a very inflammatory image on the front with a message that was really inflammatory. And it was, it, I, I, I looked at it, it was, you know, about a certain group of people in the United States and saying what they're doing and how they're, they're, they're not patriotic. And, um, and I realized after looking at it that my body was sort of, I was disembodied, right? <laughs> I, was, I couldn't really focus on paying the, the cashier. I, I was trying to bag my groceries and I was just sort of ruminating on what I had seen, which was really hate speech on the cover of a magazine that my daughter had just passed and other people were seeing as they walked through the check stand. And it struck me that I was having this reaction that I wasn't even aware of. So I, I decided to speak to the manager and I asked my daughter, can you please be patient? Let's just, I want to do this one thing. It's really important to me. And so we waited after I'd pay for my groceries and the manager came and uh, I spoke to the manager and said what it, what it had, ha had happened for me. And that it, it was, it felt like hate speech. It felt like it was like crossing a line around what's acceptable to be in the grocery store where I'm trying to shop with my daughter. And, uh, and the manager looked at it and said, you know, if that's the way you feel, let's take it off the shelf. So he took all them off, off every shelf, which is, uh, you know, not an issue of free speech in the sense that we're just trying to cultivate the environment that we're in. And he decided that his, his customers and their opinions were, were important for them. And so he, he responded and it, it gave me something to write about. So I went home and I told this story of how, um, you know, just my one small action had made an impact on the conversation around hate speech. And I, I, on the way to school the next day on the bus, I, I posted it online and didn't think again about it until I checked at the end of the day after my classes and realized that I had like a hundred views. And then later in the day, I had a thousand views and I started interacting with people in the comments. And so my dream of having writing something that gets noticed happened a couple of weeks into that process by accident through this experience that just landed on my doorstep. But I had to be aware and paying attention and respond to it in a proactive way. And that's where you talk about synchronicities. And, um, you know, in your previous book and in this one, you also talk about, you talk about those branches, those things, those choices that you make that, that lead in a direction that, that you're, that you're um, aiming for if you, if you make those choices. Can you talk a little bit more about synchronicity in that regard? So synchronicity is a falling together in time where events line up in a meaningful way. So it's really about meaningfulness in life. And we can think of, you know, the, if I was to break it down into two steps, the first step is knowing what your target is, setting a target and living your life towards that target. So if my target is to write something that's impactful, then that means I'm showing up every day at my desk to write for as long as I can, as, long, as much time as I can carve out, being consistent. Uh, my, my writing life changed when I started writing every one, one hour every day, just regardless of circumstances. So that kind of living into that reality, even when there's no evidence that it's going to be successful. And if we're doing that, then we can be assured based on sort of the model that I put forward, you know, I would assure you that you are, you are creating circumstances which are aiming to bring that target to you or bring yourself to, this, to those coincidences which will make that target happen. So, and here's the key point that I, I haven't heard a lot of other people talk about. A lot of times those circumstances are difficult. They're conflicts that you get into, or for me being in the store and having this uh, you know, 
this magazine on the shelf that causes, causes me to feel very uncomfortable. If, if I can recognize that as part of the journey that I'm on because of the, the pieces I set in motion, because I'm trying to write a piece that gets noticed, that experience is actually helping me do that. Then it helps me get out of my reactionariness and be like really angry or blustery or, or self-righteous and get into a space of, okay, I set this in motion. This is actually, I don't see how it's helping me, but this must be helping me on my path. So that's the second step. The first step is to just continually act as if you're moving towards this target. And then if you're doing that and you're living your life with that kind of integrity, then trusting that everything that happens is part of that journey. And so there's a humility that, that we can get into, which doesn't say, you know, I choose this part of the journey, but I reject that part of the journey. I choose the comfortable stuff, but I reject the uncomfortable stuff. It's all part of getting you there. And so for me, that brings a lot of trust and um, just surrender into the moment. I'm really struck that we're talking physics, Jim, and my 12-step head is just banging around with all of these <laughs> concepts um, with the idea we, we often say in 12-step spirituality, act as if. Mm -hmm. We often talk about, and, and in New Thought, we often talk about you know acting in a certain way um, and the relationship between how we are acting and what is coming at us. Um, in terms of experiences or in terms of other people. And I, I'm just finding that's an interesting synchronicity that we're talking about the same thing in different languages. Would you, would you say that's accurate, that, that science, spirituality, religion, that, that we're talking about a similar thing in different languages? Yeah, that, well, that's what brought me to this study is having grown up with the teachings of uh, Satchidananda, which is truth is one, paths are many, and that there's one essence of reality we're all trying to get access to. And the Dalai Lama's great statement that my religion is kindness, you know, um, that, that science is also, when I studied physics, I was studying the basics of space and time. And where does kindness happen? It happens in space and time. So you, I think at a fundamental level, you can't separate the notion of living in a responsive um, cosmos in which kindness or um, anger or any of the human experiences we have are, are part of that space and time. So although we don't know how exactly, it's always been clear to me that they're not separate questions. And you know, science, I think a lot of scientists are still having the debate that we had 100 or 300 years ago when Galileo was excommunicated from the church. And it's just about, you know, um, you know we're still debating evolution because, uh, you know, Religion says there's no evolution and science says there is evolution, but I, you know, I think we can get way past that debate. We know that scientific data exists for evolution, for the, uh, the creation of the universe through Big Bang or something like that. Um, the scientific method is a tried and true exp experimental method that brings us um, more knowledge. But the questions that I'm asking are, I think are more modern, more current, which is how does meaning play a role in our physical world? And is there a way in which we can understand the, you know, this idea of a multiverse in, in quantum physics is also known as the many worlds theory, where there are many different branches of possible reality. And there's sort of these parallel branches that we could experience. And which one we end up on, nobody's really talked about how do we get onto the branch that we want. It's, you know, we, we do identify that, that there, are, there are many branches <laughs> right. of the wave function. Right. right. We right. find ourselves on a branch. <laughs> we right. find ourselves on a branch. And is that, you know, in quantum mechanics, that's a random throw of the dice. And I think that's true. But what I'm trying to show is that 
you can actually look at all the possibilities and look at what the probability of a, of a given outcome is. And, and you can actually shift the probabilities based upon the meaningful actions that you take, the intention that you have and, and the way that you put that in, into practice. Fascinating. And you talk about with synchronicities, you're talking about the world as sort of an ultimate immersive training ground, I think you said. And and obstacles are a part of that experience. And I think that's what you're speaking to to some extent. Is that correct? Yeah. So this notion of virtual reality is really helpful and prescient at this time because we know what virtual reality is like because we have computers that show us that. And the it turns out that in quantum mechanics, um, there's this thing called counterfactual definiteness, which is a fancy term, I think coined by Henry. I want to use that at a cocktail party, Sky. That's really impressive. <laughs> I, I use it frequently now. Do you, Jim, use it all the time? Random conversation. All our listeners are going to be running around doing this phrase. Counterfactual definiteness. <laughs> and what it means is that there's, there's no um, counterfactual is something that could have happened, but didn't happen. Like what you could have chosen, but didn't. That's counterfactual. It's against the facts. And definiteness means if there's no counterfactual definiteness, then there's not, no, no, nothing you can say definite about the things that didn't, that weren't chosen, the things that didn't happen. In, in essence, that there's no such thing as regret, because um, we can we can choose to regret things, but we have actually there's no reality to the question of what would have happened if we had if we had chosen that. It just doesn't exist in the physical world. So. Um, uh, where, where did we start on this conversation? I don't know, but I think that's so mind blowing, Sky. <laughs> I really think just to pause there for a second with the, there is not a, a reality of regret. Yeah. How much time or perceived time would we get back if we didn't spend so much of it thinking about what if? And, and this is where we can really do work on grief because by grieving, we let go of the, the things that we can't change. And if those things that we can't change actually don't even exist because they're on other branches of uh, this cosmic tree that in, in the physical language of things doesn't have any reality for us, then the, the, the only the, the way to get through that is through grief, through, through moving through the process of letting go. Um, and that's, that's, I think, part of the evolution of the training ground that we're going through. How do we navigate our emotional responses to people and to experiences in such a way that allows us to continually move from the past into the future with a, by, and peeling away the old patterns so that we can experience new, more, more exposed, more authentic and um, sincere, sincerely us patterns. You know, who are we really on the inside? That's what we're trying to get to through this process of um, experiencing difficulty and hardship along the way. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Sky Nelson Isaacs. So Sky, um, you talk in the book about um, a holistic cosmos. That's a pretty large concept. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that, what that is? Well, the common scientific Western worldview is really can be boiled down to the, to the concept of reductionism. Science itself, it comes from the Latin word sire or sindere. Um, I think both of those have common roots and it means to cut or to know. So knowledge is, is really the, the act of cutting something apart or dissecting it. And this idea that we can understand something by breaking into parts is very much an assumed piece of modern thinking. Um, the, the, the matter on your desk can be cut into atoms and each of those atoms can be labeled a certain chemical element. And that really tells us everything about the material. But there are some, some things in, in the physical world which are holistic and holism is the opposite of reductionism. This notion that there's something to a, an object as a whole that is not derived from the parts. And what I show in my research is that the most fundamental theory we have of the cosmos, which is quantum mechanics, highly predictive, predicting experimental results down to the, the by far the most uh, accuracy we've ever had, is fundamentally holistic. And there's various ways to see this. One of them is you know just looking at um, looking at the harmonics of the electron around the atom. The, the shape of the electron around the atom is like it's, it's known as a harmonic or a shell, electron shell but it has a shape that is, it exists as a whole. It's, it's a mode of oscillation. You can't cut it in half. Just like a guitar string vibrating at an A note of 440 hertz, you can't cut that note in half because it would actually change the note. It would be twice right, the frequency. Right. So uh, these, these, are, these are what are known as modes of vibration and they're, they're holistic. They exist as a whole. So if you take you know, the example I use in... Um, in my book and in, in the way that I like to teach it is looking at a photograph. Graphic designers, those, those of you who are listening who work in graphic design and use Adobe Photoshop are familiar with the idea of blurring an image. And if you've used uh, like Snapchat, you, you kind of do these kind of filter, filters, both on your voice and on, your, on the picture. You can, you can apply filters to an image that change the whole thing at once. The way that we blur an image is not through a smudge tool that goes on every pixel and, and smudges it, but is actually, that would be a reductionist view because the pixels are reductionist. Every mm. pixel is separate from every other pixel. Mm. What we do is we convert the picture into this alternate frame, this alternate representation, which is called the frequency domain. And this is something that is probably familiar for a lot of folks, just the idea that the world is made of frequencies. Well, every picture, every image, every shape is made, uh, can be composed by frequencies which is known as Fourier analysis, very, very common in science and mathematics. But what's amazing about this alternate space is that you can modify it in very simple ways and affect the whole picture. So if, for instance, if I put a, a filter on it, which just blocks out all the high frequency data, then I, I lose the high frequencies in my photograph. In other words, the, the edges get blurred. High frequencies in a photograph really refer to this notion of, you know, the color changing really rapidly across the page. And that's, so if you get rid of that, you blur the image. So this, this, this filter that you're applying 
affects the entire frequent the, the entire photograph at once, not in pieces. And so there's a, there's a sense in which the the image is affected as a whole. And if you want to erase part of the image, you couldn't do it because you'd have to affect the whole picture all at once by the changes you make. So this is an example of holism, where changes you make in one domain affect the whole of the other domain. And this is essential, I think, because it, it illustrates the same way that we can make changes in our internal world, you know, what we might call uh, spiritual changes or you know, mindfulness changes. You know, if I become more patient, if I learn how to become more patient with myself, I'm going to find myself being more patient with my kids and with at work and with the projects I'm working on. And I'm going to find different results in all these areas of my life that are a reflection of the, the one change that I made on the internal map. That's really fascinating. Um, you say in the book that um, I suspect, and this goes, goes back to your conversation about uh, synchronicity, but I suspect it is a real world that is programmed and maybe programmable to provide targeted opportunities to grow, heal, and adapt. Tell, speak to that a little bit more. Well, it, it, we were talking about the virtual reality idea of a world that's that's virtual. And what I mean by that is that this idea of counterfactual definiteness that we referred to basically means that properties of things don't actually exist before we look at them, before we observe them. And this has been demonstrated in, in the lab very conclusively. There's no real debate about it at the microscopic level that an electron you know, has a spin, for instance, and the spin can be oriented one way or the other. But before you measure the spin, there's not a, it doesn't have a definite spin. The property doesn't exist in a definite form until we do observe it. And so observation is a big part of what makes reality reality. And if you think about a virtual world, like you're walking into um, uh, whatever, I don't know if there's a common virtual world people are used to, but you walk into a, a video game and the room that you're in didn't exist a minute before you walked in the room. When you walk in the room, it gets rendered right there as if it's really there and you experience it as if it's really there. And there might even be other people in it who on their computers were having their experience of that same room. But these are different instances of the same room, right? Everybody has their own computer version of that room. And for you, it didn't even exist a minute before. And this is, this is really um, mathematically really the same as what quantum mechanics seems to be telling us that the physical world, even though it seems very real, you know, and you're going to be convinced if I walk upstairs and talk to my wife, I'll be convinced that my upstairs kitchen existed 10 minutes before, you know, because there's a lot of evidence for that. But the truth is, I don't have any current knowledge of its state. So it's this idea of many possibilities. The kitchen exists, but there are many possibilities for it where the coffee cup is standing upright or the coffee cup is knocked over or the dishes are done or the dishes are not done <laughs> or i went grocery shopping or i didn't right exactly <laughs> so these are all the possibilities that can unfold i think and I, I speculate about the macroscopic world being this way this is where mm -hmm. my work diverges from mainstream physics um, but the idea that all these possibilities exist in this virtual like reality then the question becomes what is it that determines which branch of the tree is taken and I think that's where, you know, which possibilities unfold. And that's where we can get a, a lot of impact by, in our current world, by looking at how does the mindset that I approach my life with, how does it influence the synchronicities, the little opportunities for growth that happen, that allow me to, um, you know, experience one branch over the other, like the branch where I experience the, the, the article that I wrote and I, I have that whole experience at the grocery store versus some other experience. 
You know, those are small moments in life where opportunities show up. And if we don't grab onto them, if we don't take advantage of them, then they pass us. And so one of the ways we end up on the branch that we want is recognizing when that branch is being opened up for us. What does that opportunity look like? Making those, those recognitions. So just to, to connect that with some practice, there's a practice I give in my first book, The Lorax. Listen, open, reflect, release, act, and X is for don't give up. And so by, by listening to life's experiences, like noticing in the store when, this, when, when my body is shaking because I read this article that I didn't like, opening my mind to what it could mean or what I could do that I don't have to leave the store, I could actually talk to somebody about it, reflecting on the situation as to, you know, what do I want to do? How do I want to turn this into something meaningful? And then releasing my attachment to leaving quickly and getting home or, or, or something like that. And then acting from there, when we act from that, that informed listening place, we are more likely to catch those opportunities to end up on the branch that we want to end up on. Is there, is there a propensity towards um, positiveness in the universe or, or is it just, is it neutral? What's your, or is it all perception? I think it's neutral and I think it's a reflection. I, I call this a responsive cosmos, which is trying to get at the idea that what you know, we take the first step in deciding how life is going to unfold with our, first of all, our mindset is obviously a big part of that, but it comes into our actions. If we have a mindset and an, and an intention that is put into action, then that's, you know, the physical world is the place where these experiences actually happen. So I think um, action is a big part of this uh, that we have to um, commit to putting our, our practices into form in that way. There's another illustration that you use in the book um, when you start to talk about the, the intersection of time here, of time as a film strip. Can you talk a right. little bit about that? We, we tend to think of time as a, a grain of sand, like dropping through an hourglass. We're at a point in time that we call right now, and everything that's possible you know, starts right now. Um, the choices we make are impacting ourselves right now. And we, this model is served us pretty well, but it doesn't actually really set us up for long-term thinking. And like my life is going to be here and gone pretty quickly in 50 years from now, what's going to be the reality that's left that's happening. And that's actually from a physics point of view, that's just, that's so close, you know, it's so, so near to us right now. So how can I expand my thinking to include much more of a span of time? Well, the, the physics work I propose essentially says that time is holistic in the same way that the photograph I described was holistic. In other words, time intervals are, exist all at once. So the journey from today till tomorrow is one, um, one timeline that has a beginning and an end. And so if I start to think then about what is the storyline or, or the plot of the timeline that I'm on? Not just what am I what kind of pleasure am I getting out of this moment right now, but where does this lead tomorrow? So preparing for a presentation at work, for instance, is, is acting, living on a timeline in which that presentation the next day goes well, because I'm prepared. And so instead of a grain of sand on a map or a point on a map uh, of time, this is more like a line on a map that has a, a, a past, a present, and a future. And this is, you know, every line or, or film strip, it's like a film strip that has a storyline to it. So when you watch a movie, you're experiencing the movie 
in little moments, right? You experience the movie linearly and the meaning of the movie unfolds gradually, but the movie as a whole exists on the film and you're just experiencing it a certain way. And the, the, the one difference I would say is that the choices we make actually flip the film strip to go in different directions. It's like a choose your own, your own adventure. Film. <laughs> choose your own film. <laughs> <laughs> choose your own film. And that's, that's how synchronicity you know, plays the role in determining which ending do we actually get to. And that's why setting the target in our minds and then taking action that, that doesn't necessarily, we don't know how it's going to get to the end result, but we know we can tell when our action is aligned with our values. And that's really how we uh, can set off in the present to affect the future. So here's the question that came up for me when I was reading about this is we have a lot of mindfulness practices and we have a lot of encouragement these days to be in quote unquote, the moment. How does that, is it that we do both? We're in the moment and we're watching as part of the film. Like how, how do we reconcile those two ideas or do we, or do we even need to? They're both true. Yeah. Um, in the moment is when opportunities happen. So by being in the moment at the grocery store, I was able to see that something was wrong. And and wrong is not the word I'm trying to find, actually. It's more like there's something important about this moment. So in the present, we can notice when there's something important going on. Some of life, we're just moving through it, right? Making breakfast and eating it (laughs) to get it through our day. But other times, there's something important going on because maybe I'm making breakfast and I realize that my daughter is late for school and I'm making a fancy breakfast. That's a moment for me to notice that my actions are out of alignment with where I want to get to in 10 minutes from now, which is out the door, you know? So noticing in the present when our actions are out of alignment with the opportunities that are available to us and then shifting and adjusting. And by shifting and adjusting, we get back into alignment with that future state or branch that we're actually trying to hit. So it's this relationship between the part and the whole. You, I'm fascinated by the idea, and this is going to make my mind spin a little bit, I know, but I'm fascinated by the idea of retroactive event determination. Well, this, this is kind of like retrocausality, but it's emphasizing the, the idea that if you don't know what the past was, how can you claim to have changed it, to have caused it to happen? So it turns out that because of this notion of counterfactual indefiniteness that the world that we haven't observed or haven't chosen doesn't have a definite form that anything we haven't observed really anything outside of the four walls that you're sitting in right now is open to um, clarification let's say like it can it can have happened any number of different ways even though we assume the world is happening in in a given way we just haven't read the newspaper yet actually all of the for from each person's perspective Everything they haven't observed themselves is open to, to be flexible. So it's this notion that, that history itself is flexible. And it comes really straight from quantum mechanics. There's this experimental idea called the delayed choice experiment that John Wheeler came up with, which illustrates how the way that you measure a particle at the end of an experiment influences what path it took in the middle of the experiment. And there's, there's actually a lot of other examples in, in physics of how a path as a whole, including the endpoint, affects the middle point. Another example of this is called Lagrangian dynamics, where the the path that as a whole determines which which path has the least action. Action is this physics concept, and so this holistic uh, criteria for what actually happens. 
Now, to give an explicit example that I use in my research, imagine light traveling from the sun. Well, the sun is eight light minutes away, and so it takes eight minutes for light to make that travel. But if you look at this, people are probably familiar with the idea from relativity that time and space are relative. And the closer, the faster you travel relative to, say, the Earth or relative to another system, the more time slows down. And space actually gets smaller too. So if you actually were light, time and space no longer mean anything because time has shrunk all the way and space has shrunk all the way. So our normal way of conceiving of separations in space and time doesn't hold up anymore. So in a sense, light traveling from the sun to the earth, it's not two separate events. It's not light leaves the sun and then arrives at earth. They're not actually separate in this, when you describe it in a mathematical equation describing light. So how do you then make sense of a, of a light traveling a certain distance, but actually not having the, 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 sep the points be separate from each other at all to begin with? So how I measure the end result, uh, whether I measure it using a satellite or whether I look at it with my eyes, is going to be part of the whole journey of that light from the sun to the earth. Because if the beginning and the end point are part of the same event, part of the same reality, that they're not separate from each other, then um, how I measure it at the end actually determines the path it took all along the way to get there. So, and in our personal lives, we can, we can perceive that as well. Well, this is how synchronicity can occur because uh, let, me, let me come up with an example here. I had a friend who had a, a ring that she didn't know what, uh, what the stone was. She had had it for some years and she wanted to know what the stone was. So she finally got it together after a few weeks of wondering to email her jeweler and sent a picture of the stone. And, but she didn't hear back from her jeweler at the at this nail salon later that day, she finished getting her nails done, and, and the, the manicurist asked her if she had a stamp card for you know frequent flyer miles. <laughs> and she reaches in her purse to find see if she has a stamp card, and she pulls out a card, and it's the business card from the jeweler that she had put in her purse months before. And on the back, it has the words "blue topaz," which is the name of the stone. Wow. So she'd been looking for that information previously and found it from a different place than she expected. Hmm. So the question is, how did that card get into her purse at that moment? And, and then how, you know, why was she asked to look in her purse at that moment to find the card? And this is the, where retroactive event determination comes in. The history of the, the business card getting into her purse, there's a whole chain of events that happened to make that true, right? Where she was handed the card by her jeweler, they wrote the name of the stone on the back of it, she put it in her purse, Maybe she took it out of her purse and put it on her dresser, but then some, for some reason, one day she put it back in her purse. And there's a whole history to things. And that history is actually flexible to bring that business card into her hands at that moment. So when a synchronicity happens, you can be looking at it like, ah, what, how did history have to be flexible to bring this event to me right now? Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I want to jump ahead a little bit. There's so much to talk about because this, you, your book is so uh, informative and deep, uh, but I want to jump ahead to steps to wholeness. And you talk about uh, an acronym that I just love called ARG. 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 A-R-G-H. Jim thinks he's a pirate. ARG. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, about that acronym? Yeah, so when we feel that feeling, arg, 
you know, frustration is something that I really try and get at with synchronicity. Like, how do we use synchronicity to experience more wholeness and less, less butting heads with life? And when we feel that feeling of ARG, uh, A-R-G-H, the first step I offer you is to accept the circumstances that you're in. So this doesn't mean accept the outcomes or accept that it's all, it's all lost, but um, not holding on to this concept of, oh, I wish I had done something differently, right? There is no such thing as regret. So um, accepting the circumstances we're in, in it re requires you know, grieving or uh, you know, going through our disappointment. There's many different tools you can use to do this, but really being authentic and open to the wholeness of our experience and not resisting painfulness, not resisting the fact that I'm really disappointed that I didn't get that job or whatever it might be, like uh, really working through our present emotions and accepting the situation as it is, but then recognizing the patterns, that's the R. So what is the pattern of my behavior or of the situation that put me here, that got me into the situation? And a lot of times it's not just you know, our own behavior, that's a big part of it, but there's also circumstances showing up in life again and again to remind us to, in this responsive cosmos, I think things happen over and over sort of in similar ways to try and teach us how, how we can evolve and grow. And so recognizing the pattern, how, where have I seen this situation show up before? If I had an argument with someone at work, well, what's the pattern? Oh, well, they said something that I thought was disrespectful. Oh, and I've had that experience with my spouse too. They say things that are disrespectful. And I've had that when I was a kid with my parents. So then I see my pattern and the pattern that of, of experience that's happening. So recognize that. And then G is for valuing growth. So rather than trying to fix the situation you're in, put your whole, all your value on growth because the minute you actually understand and change the pattern, every future experience will be different. And as we have talked about, time is relative. It's gonna be, the present is gonna be gone really quickly. So this moment that you're in where you're, where you're disappointed is gonna be gone really quickly. So focus on changing the pattern so that really soon you'll be out of it. And then from there, from doing that, that's when you can heal, that's the H because you heal the pattern just simply by recognizing it and then choosing something different. Choosing not choosing exercise seems really helpful to me um, to, to find those happy places, uh, exercise you talk about. And we just have like a couple of minutes. Can you distill that in an ocean? You know, in like two minutes. When we choose, I think a lot of times we make our lives harder than they have to be by thinking we have to choose the hard path or the austere path where we can't enjoy life. And you know, if you're at work on a Friday and all your colleagues are going out to happy hour and you're thinking, I need to be ready for next Monday, I've got this presentation, I want to do a good job. Um, notice what you're choosing. I'm choosing to stay at my desk and keep working. Notice what you're not choosing. Or, well, first of all, notice what you're choosing and what does it feel like? So it feels like responsible. It also feels a little boring. I'm a little tired. You know, I kind of wish I was doing the fun thing. And then notice what you're not choosing. I'm not choosing going out with my friends. What does that feel like? Well, it feels uh, disappointing. I feel a fear of missing out um, and, and touching into the sort of disappointment and grief that you might feel there. And once you have those pieces in place, then asking from a more conscious place, what do I want to choose in this moment? Do I want to shift my experience and go out with these people? And maybe that's possible because I can realize I'm just trying to impress someone at work by doing a really good job, but I actually don't need to do that. I'm actually fine at work. 
And we can only realize that by doing the inner work and having the awareness of our own experience inside. In the minute we have left, can you give me one exercise or one piece of advice that listeners might be able to use um, as they experience this, the, the, our, this life? Well, notice the, notice everything that happens in life, including world events as part of a, a, a narrative that's illustrating us how we can grow from life. So when things happen in the news, like um, we've had uh, restrictions on people's right to women's right to choose, and we've had uh, a pandemic where uh, many people are sick and having trouble breathing, and um, we've had uh, racial discrimination happening and, and more, more obvious examples of that with the death of George Floyd. Um, you know, what is the overall narrative? These are obviously disconnected events, each with long histories of their own, but how do they relate to what I'm learning about and growing in my life? And so maybe the narrative is um, we're all looking for different ways to experience more freedom and uh, less oppression uh, or to recognize the oppression that other people are going through. And we can connect this to our own lives in the way that we're um, feeling able to choose what we want in life and, and make choices that really um, align with our highest good. So the external world is a reflection in some sense of the internal world and looking at every situation that happens as, you know, what is this trying to show me about myself and how I can show up in the world in the most impactful way. Guy, thank you so much for joining us again on Big Universe. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to meet and be with you again here. For more information about Sky Nelson and Isaacs, you can go to skynelson.com. Sky's newest book is Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. Check it and out. I have, I have a webinar that I'm offering uh, once a, a, a month, and it's at physicsofwholeness.com. Excellent. Excellent. For more great information about Sarah Boeing, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses. Help to create them on my website at youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>